0: So I want to welcome you here today to First Methodist Mansfield. If you are brand new, if we have not met yet, there's two things I want you to know. The first is, uh, my name's David. I serve as one of the pastors here. And the second thing is, I don't normally sound like this. Uh, I've had uh, the gunk all week, uh, and um, I'm very excited to be here. Thursday I went to the doctor. I said, give me everything you got. Uh, So I got a shot, Uh, I'm on an antibiotic, I've been eating oranges and chicken noodle soup and gargling, and um, I'll tell you one thing I have not done, which is eat raw garlic. That was uh, one of the recommendations that I was given. So you're welcome. I didn't do that in preparation for today. Uh, but nevertheless, I'm, I'm very excited to be with you uh, for the first, uh, as we begin this new year and also as we begin uh, this brand new series together. Uh, and I want you to understand real clearly uh, where that excitement comes from. It's, it's more than just, hey, being sick and, and, and coming here and, and being able to be with you. Um, I believe that this is a year... Uh, that could be a year of tremendous growth in your life, that, that 2017 might be a year uh, that you would look back on when you come to the end of it, that you would say, wow, God did some incredible things in my life over the course of this last year. Uh, This is a year in which uh, perhaps those who you share life with might one day look back on and say, wow, because of the significant change that happened in the life of my loved one, they were able to impact my life in an even more significant way. And and what may be even more uh, challenging for us to think about is that this might be a year that would not only bless the people that we share life with right now— but would be a year that because of the change that comes into your life uh, would also be a blessing that would be shared for generations to come. Those who you may never have the chance to meet may receive a blessing because of what God does in your life over the course of this next year. That is the power of a fresh start. That is the power, that is the potential of a new year, a new year in which we think about our life in perhaps a different way than we normally think about our lives. Most of us are busy putting one foot in front of the other each and every day. But when we come to a new year, what do we do? We lift our eyes up a little bit, don't we? We begin to look at a further horizon. We begin to think about our lives. What are the things we want to change? What are the things that we want to get better? We, we get out of the mundane and we begin to imagine and dream a little bit about how life might be different for us. And I want you to think about that. How might God transform your life over the course of this year? And how might that, that transformation and blessing be shared with others uh, for generations to come? Part of the reason that I uh, have that sense of excitement and and confidence that this could be a year like that for you, it could be a year like that for me, it could be a year like that for our family of faith together, is we intend to be guided this year by a very sharp focus. We have a very specific horizon that we are going to have in mind as we move throughout the entirety of 2017. The first thing I want to do today is I want to show you what that horizon is and what that focus is going to be. So if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn uh, to Philippians chapter 3. Now, if you did not bring your Bible today, I'd love for you to do that next week. That's your hint. Uh, But if you didn't bring one, there's a blue Bible in the seat pocket in front of you. Please grab that, uh, and in that blue Bible, you will find Philippians 3 on page 1826. Uh, Again, that blue Bible that we have provided uh, for you. This is our focus for the year. We have selected one scripture, one verse uh, to be our guiding focus for the year. Some of you have already heard uh, me talk about this, but I want everyone, to hear it again. It's Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. And this is the Apostle Paul who is articulating the mission and purpose of his life. What is the drive and passion of his life? And this is how he shares that. He says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That's our vision, that's our, our goal for everything that we do in this year ahead. Now, if, if you look at that and you think to yourself, well, I'm not really sure what that means, we really do have all year long to figure it out, so it's okay. Uh, but if the Bible on your lap is one that belongs to you, what I want to invite you to do is I want to invite you to underline this verse. Uh, later maybe write this on a card put it somewhere where you can see it I'd love for you to think about memorizing this verse because again this is where we're going everything that we do in this next year is going to be guided by this vision and the goal of knowing Christ more tomorrow than we do today that's our goal together as we move throughout the entirety of this year, for all of us, we want to know Christ more tomorrow than we do today. So that over the course of this year, God might do something in us that, we would, that, would, that would radically transform our life that's one of the reasons that I'm excited to be here with you today here's the second one uh, perhaps you learned this in seventh grade science like I did an object in motion tends to stay in motion an object at rest tends to stay at rest if you remember that from somewhere back and okay your 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 science teachers are very very pleased with you so this is a fundamental uh, uh, principle of physics it's actually the only thing I know about physics so there you go there's my physics lesson uh, for today the idea that, that that things that are in motion stay in motion things that are at rest things that are not not moving tend to stay in that state of not moving. And this principle that scientists have proven to be true in the physical world is also true in the journey of faith. Lives that are in motion, Lives that have momentum, lives that are growing, that are being nurtured and thriving are lives that tend to continue along that path. And lives that are at rest, lives that have stopped growing, lives that have found uh, themselves at a place of stagnation tend to stay there. And so as we think about knowing Christ more tomorrow than we do today, as we think about the goal of the journey of faith to continue to grow in knowledge of God and and in service to Him, one of the things we must constantly guard against is finding ourselves stuck. Because when we find ourselves stuck, just like in the physical world, we tend to stay stuck. Stuck. Which brings us to why we are beginning this series, or beginning this entire year, this focus of knowing Christ more tomorrow than we do today, we're beginning this series with a focus on the Bible, because the Bible is one of the most underused resources that we have to sustain uh, and build momentum in our life. If the Bible is not a part of your regular practice, reading it, studying it, reflecting on it, then you are missing out on an incredible resource that is designed to create momentum in your life and to sustain momentum in your life. And so we are beginning right here uh, to talk about this. And and the the fuel behind this series, the whole force behind it, is this uh, perhaps provocative idea that… You cannot know the fullness of Christ without the Bible. You cannot know the fullness of Christ without the Bible. Now, I know some of you, I mean, you may need to think about that a little bit. That may hit you. I don't know. I don't know what to think about that. But I promise you this next idea is something that you will immediately affirm. You cannot know the fullness of Christ without the Bible. But also, owning a Bible does not automatically lead to knowing Christ. Have you noticed that? Uh, It's nice on the shelf, it looks good on the coffee table, but that doesn't necessarily lead to life change. It's about engaging the scriptures. It's about building a life on on this foundation. Uh, You you cannot know the fullness of Christ, but also it isn't isn't a magic book. It isn't something you can just hold in your hand and all of a sudden you you know everything uh, that there is to know about faith. Uh, If you receive our first 15 devotional, you may have uh, read these words from Pastor Jim this week. Uh, He said, I read somewhere that the percentage of Americans who own running shoes but don't run. Anyone want to guess? 87%, at least according to Jim. He may have just made that up. I don't know. But uh, here here was the additional uh, thought he added. I wonder what is the percentage of Christians who own a Bible but don't read it regularly? Now, What I want you to know first is I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, okay? So everybody breathe a sigh of relief. We're not taking a little survey here. Uh, Instead, uh, what I want you to do, if you still have that Bible out on your lap, I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. So that's back to the left. Uh, Matthew 7, if you're using the Blue Bibles, is on page 1509. I invite you to find that with me. And as you turn there, I want to point out to you, I'm going to read to you from the, uh, Matthew 7, uh, beginning in verse 23. Sorry, verse 24. But I want to point out something to you before, uh, before we dive in there. Once you find yourself at Matthew 7, go ahead and look at Matthew 6 and Matthew 5. And if you have one of those Bibles where the words of Jesus are in red... Or have you, if you have one of those Bibles where you just figured out that those words that are in red are the words of Jesus, okay, this will be more clear to you, all right? But Matthew 5, Matthew 6, and Matthew 7 uh, is what is commonly referred to as the Sermon on the Mount, okay? So it's a significant portion of teaching at the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry in the Gospel of Matthew, if you're brand new to the scriptures, if you want to know what Jesus is all about, or if you have someone in your life who says, hey, what is, what is Jesus all about? What is his teaching really about? Invite them to read Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7. Take you about 10 minutes. But it is a very good 10-minute crash course in what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus. Now, I pointed that out to you because I want you to understand as I read to you verse 24, I want you to know this is the end of the sermon, okay? This is the closing argument. This is the way in which Jesus brings it all home. And listen to what he says, beginning in verse 24. He says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man. Who built his house on sand? The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So, put together a couple of ideas here with me. We said you cannot know the fullness of Christ without the Bible. The Bible has this sense of importance. At the same time, owning a Bible does not automatically lead to knowing Christ. Here's the additional thought. That I think we find here in, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm going to guarantee you in advance, this is the most profound thing you've heard all year long. All year. Totally. Okay? Here it is. People who know Jesus still need raincoats. Okay? I've copyrighted this because I'm going to write a book one day with this title. Okay? So don't steal it. People who know Jesus still need raincoats. What does that mean? Well, Jesus tells the story of two men. And one of them he describes as wise, and one of them he describes as foolish. And the way in which we're able to differentiate between the wise man and the foolish man is because there's something that happens in both of their lives. For both of their lives, uh, there is an instance in which the rain comes and the streams rise And the winds begin to beat against the house, the the life that they have built. And what Jesus says is when that happens in your life, not if, but when, when that happens in your life, you are either going to have a foundation that will allow you to survive through that experience, or the life that you have built will experience a great crash. Jesus affirms the idea that for all of us, the rain comes. People who know Jesus still need raincoats. Because the rains come and the streams rise and the winds are going to pick up in our life. We're going to find ourselves experiencing something that we do not expect to happen in our life. We don't see it coming it's not something that just comes around the bend. It's why we sometimes find ourselves experiencing something and we look and we go, I have no idea how I got here or what happened. That happens in the lives of all of us. And Jesus says, here's the question. When the rain comes, when the streams begin to rise, when the winds begin to beat against the house that you have built, the question is going to be, what's, what's the foundation of your life? What's the foundation of your life? Listen, uh, verse 13 and 14 of uh, Matthew 7, Jesus says it even more definitively. So listen to this. He says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Now, we don't like to admit this. I don't like to admit this. None of us do. But part of what verse 13 and verse 14 of chapter 7 invite us to see is this, this really hard, really hard truth. That without help, I am more likely than not to find myself on the wrong path. And if I don't have help in my life, the most likely thing to happen is that I'll end up on the wrong path. And now again, we don't think about our lives that way. We, we sort of think about, well, whatever it is that comes around the bend, I'll just figure out how to get through it. Until there's something that comes around the bend that we didn't expect. We find ourselves in a place we never thought we would be. And all of a sudden, we are more than overwhelmed by the experience, by the, by the situation, the circumstance that we have found ourselves in. In our life. It's again, it's why people in their life often find themselves in the wrong path, right on the brink of destruction, and they can't even explain to you how they got there. Because it's easy, Jesus says. The easiest thing in the world is to end up on the wrong path. What's hard, what's hard is to stay on the narrow path that Jesus says leads. To life. Now, when you think about the importance of that, here's what I want you to hear: If you were to ask of me, David, can you can you express to me what is the most compelling reason that I should give my time and my attention to this book? What, what is it that you have learned in your life and in your journey with this book? What, what would you say is the most compelling reason to invest in this book? Here's what the answer would not be. It would not be, oh, you should read the Bible. You'll feel better. I mean, you'll, you'll just, you'll have a skip in your step. You'll be happy as can be. There'll be joy every moment. You will begin every day. You will become that person that really annoys you at the office. You know, the, just, so I'm just, no, that is not the reason, the most compelling reason I would articulate for you as to why this word is so powerful in my life and how I've seen it work in my life. The most compelling reason is this, that in grace and love, what I have found God doing in my life over and over and over again is whispering to me through these words saying, David, come back over here. Come away from that path. Stay, stay here on the narrow path. No, 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 no. You, you need to deal with that anger and you need to forgive. You, you need, no, 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 no. That, that, that thought you have right now, that's not truth. That's a lie. We need, no, no, come away from that path. You need to come over here to the narrow, to the narrow path. That's what the scriptures do. The scriptures continually invite us away from the broad road that leads to destruction towards the narrow road that leads to life. And, and, and again, it's easy, it's easy to find ourselves on the wrong path. It's very hard, it's very hard to find ourselves maintaining momentum uh, and and direction on the right path. Listen to what uh, N.T. Wright says about Matthew 7 verses 13 and 14. If you've come this far with Jesus, you need to know it's not just a matter of holding on to the steering wheel. And hoping for the best. You need to concentrate. To take note of danger. To realize that you can't presume on anything. You've got to keep your wits about you. Make sure you get through that gate. It's not very wide. Watch out for people who will lead you off the road. Don't think that because you've been tagging along with others that you'll get there in the end. Jesus sets his face against any idea that you can simply go with the flow. Allowing the crowd to set the pace and direction. You really have to want to get in through this gate. If you just drift allowing the current to take you where it will, you will miss it. Last May, I was uh, called uh, to do a funeral uh, for a family in our church. uh, the woman's name was Dorothy. Uh, Dorothy and her husband Nelson uh, had not been as active in our church uh, leading up to uh, her death because of her own health issues. They, they, she couldn't get out of the house, and so they watched online and, and, and did what they could to, to stay connected. Uh, but I had a relationship with Dorian, Dorothy and Nelson because uh, their grandson and I had played on the same basketball team in high school. And so I had known them from back then. They were uh, often there at those games, sitting in the stands with his parents and my family. And I had the chance to meet them at that stage in, in my life and then to reconnect with them when, uh, when we found ourselves together here in, in Mansfield. And so they asked me to come. And, and, and what I did, is, as I often do, is I went to the home uh, and, and I shared just a time with the family. And in that time, I asked them, just tell me tell me what you want to celebrate and remember. Tell me the things that you treasure most about Dorothy's life. And I did what all of our pastors do in a moment like that. I, I brought lots of blank paper and took lots of notes and listened to their stories and asked them questions and, and made sure that as I prepared to lead them through that time of grief and, and mourning, that, that also within that, we were going to spend a significant amount of time celebrating the life of their loved one and celebrating what her life had meant uh, to, to her family, but also, also to the entire world. And as they were sharing with me, what came up over and over again in, in the kind of first few minutes was they were talking about Dorothy's Bible. And I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. Tell me more about Dorothy's Bible and, and tell me more about, you know, why that was so meaningful to her. And they, they told me the story of how Dorothy fell in love with the Scriptures and investing herself In the scriptures. Uh, She, uh, in the, I think it was the early 80s, she went to church with her daughter uh, first weekend of a new year, and and that weekend the pastor challenged his church to be more invested in the scriptures. May sound familiar, I don't know, but so she'd been there. uh, She had been inspired by this, and so she made a commitment to read through the entire Bible over the course of that next year. She went home, she brought a, bought a brand new Bible, and she began that journey. At the end of that year, uh, she found that this new practice had been such a meaningful part of her life that she thought, well, I, I think I'll do that again. And so, year two, she made the second trip uh, through the Scriptures. At this point, I asked the question. This is, this is, this is the dumb question I asked. Like, how did she decide, like, how much to read every day? And, and her husband said, well, she just took the number of pages and divided by 365. It's like, oh, well, that's, that's pretty simple. Okay, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, so she gets through year two. And at the end of year two, again, she thinks, this, is, this has really been a great practice in my life. I want to do it again. And so year three, she made that same trip. And she made that same trip through the scriptures every year of her life until her death. As she grew older and her grandchildren uh, began to mature, that practice took on a whole new meaning uh, for Dorothy. Uh, she had an idea. She, uh, at the beginning of one year, she bought a brand new Bible. Uh, and with, starting with the oldest grandchild, she read through the Bible over the course of that year for that grandchild. Uh, in in the margins, she would write notes to them. she She would point out scriptures that were of special meaning to her. she would She would write in the margins what her prayers were for for her grandkids, for the rest of their life. and And at the end of that first year, the oldest grandchild, uh, underneath the Christmas tree, what they got was that Bible that had been Dorothy's companion uh, over the course of that year. And before Dorothy died, She had the chance to do that for all seven of her grandchildren. In her personal uh, Bible uh, that she used throughout her life. Uh, It's filled with her notes. Uh, One of the things that Dorothy would do as she was reading is, you know, if there was some sort of uh, moment in the family's life that was uh, meaningful, a birthday or anniversary, or someone was having uh, a a surgery, she would note that, and she'd note the date uh, as as, uh, she read uh, that particular day. And so um, when the family asked me to share Psalm 37 uh, at the graveside, uh, one of the things that that really struck me as I was there with them at the at the National Cemetery, uh, preparing to read uh, Psalm thirty seven, is I I looked at my friend Bryce and I said, Bryce, I want you to know that she read this on your third birthday because she wrote it down right here six seventeen eighty one Bryce's third birthday. Uh, the title of this series is Is this the book for me? And the reason we titled the series that way is because we wanted, you to, wanted it to make sense to you. We wanted you to know what it was about. We, we hope that you hear that and you think, wow, I want to come to all five weeks of this series. But that was not the original title of this series. Uh, the original title of the series that I wrote in my journal last summer, that it will, it will be this title as far as I'm concerned, is A Series for Dorothy. This is A Series for Dorothy. Because as I heard her story, I thought to myself, uh, it, it, when I share that story... With our church. There's going to be so many people. Who are inspired by that. And at the same time. So many people who are going to think to themselves. I have no idea where to begin. So many people may leave today. And go man I got work to do. And I don't know where to start. (laughs) My life is about following Jesus. And helping people follow Jesus. Everything else is just. That's what my life is about. I want to follow Jesus, and I want to help people follow Jesus. And so part of what that means for me is when I see and observe, uh, as a pastor, a place where uh, I I see struggles, uh, but I also see a deep desire to grow, I want to help. I want to help. I told our staff this week that the goal of this first message is that you would come back to the second one. That's it. That you would come back next week, a week after that, and a week after that, and a week after that. Because for the next four weeks, we're going to be fully focused on helping you engage this word. We're going to be focused on helping you have confidence that when you invest in that practice, that God will actually speak into your life. And you, over the course of time, will find this to be a very meaningful part of your life. I know many of you, you hear a story like Dorothy's, and you think, wow, I'd love to do that. But where do I begin? And what I want you to hear is, the next four weeks is about helping you uh, start well, uh, and creating some momentum in your life as we begin this new year together, giving you a sense of confidence that maybe you haven't had before. So... With that in mind, I have to give you some homework. Here you go. Are you ready? Here's your homework. Number one, find a Bible. Some of you are already done. Good job. You brought your Bible today. Find a Bible, okay? And with that, let me say, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. A free gift, you could go to the Connecting Point. We have those each and every weekend if you don't have a Bible. The second thing is if you have one, maybe it's one that's been passed down from generation to generation, and it's really nice and it's a great treasure, but you open it up and you don't speak the way that it speaks, okay, these and thou's and whatever. And you might want one that's a better fit for you. If you look on the back of your message page, you'll see my blog address, pastordavidalexander.com, the latest posts there, Is titled help me find a Bible okay if you've never shopped for a Bible it's worse than buying a car okay I mean it's so confusing so that post is all about hey here's some tips here's some thoughts on translations types of Bibles I offer you a recommendation if you want that but more it's just hey here's some things to think about so that's the first thing find a Bible and bring your Bible next week second thing is with that Bible uh, find Philippians 3, chapter 10, and underline that verse, which again, some of you are done. Good job. Step one, step two. Ah, you're halfway home, okay? Philippians 3, verse 10. I want you to underline that verse, maybe write that down on a card again. Here's number three. With your Bible, whether it's new or one you've had for quite some time, I would love for you to spend some time this week just browsing through it, Okay? And here's what I encourage you to do. Turn to the table of contents. It has a table of contents, okay? There are 66 books in the Bible. Turn to the table of contents and just notice the names of the books that you recognize, So you probably recognize or have heard Matthew. We talked about Matthew. That's in the the first book of the New Testament. You can say, well, I've I've heard of that. You've probably heard of Revelation. We'll talk about that later, okay? Um, But but get get a sense of, 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 of what's in there. Also notice the names of the books that you had no idea were in the Bible, like Obadiah or Nahum. Anyone expecting Nahum. What a great biblical name you could give to your child. Nahum. <laughs> Browse through it. Find Matthew. Figure out where the New Testament starts. Just spend some time uh, getting familiar with it. And then the last thing, this, we'll say this is extra credit. Uh, spend some time reading Matthew 5, Matthew 6, and Matthew 7. Uh, for the first time, or maybe for the hundredth time, uh, reorient yourself with what the teaching of Jesus uh, is all about. I have a very good friend in the church. He's actually here. I just looked at him, so don't look over there and figure out who he is. But uh, we were uh, talking this week about uh, reading through, starting at the same place and reading through together, and he was in the letters of Paul. And I said, well, I'm, I read through the New Testament last summer, so I'm, I'm, I'm starting over in, in Matthew. And he said, well, but I've already read that. I said, it's okay, read it again. So I thought that was funny, um, but you didn't. It was hilarious. He's like, well, I've already got the Gospels down. I'm like, Okay, well, you're preaching next week. So uh, over and over and over again, it's a living word. It's a living, it's a living word uh, that, that, will, that will radically, radically change uh, your life. Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7, it'll take you about 10 minutes to read the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' sermons are shorter than mine because he was Jesus and I'm not. So have appropriate expectations when you come to church, okay? (laughs) If you would uh, grab your Bible or the blue one, just grab one. I want you to hold it in your hand. Let me pray for you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need help. And we admit, Lord, that we even need help admitting that. We don't like that. We like to think that we can do everything with our own skill and our own insight and our own wisdom, and yet we know somewhere deep within us that that is not a good idea. And so my prayer, Lord, for each person that is here today and for for everyone in our church family is that over the course of these next four weeks, Lord, you would create some great momentum in our life. That you would cultivate within us a great desire in our life to seek out your wisdom and to seek out your ways. To help us, Lord, in this process, to, to hear your voice, inviting us away from the path that would lead to destruction, and instead, Lord, inviting us to, the, to that narrow road that so many so few find that leads to life. Lord, we say today, we want to find that road. And so help us, help us to discover it. These things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.